Hello and welcome back once again another thought provoking episode of Digital Strategy Unlocked the podcast that empowers CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, business visionaries and leaders to reevaluate and embrace the vast potential of digital transformation. I'm your host Deepak Sharma and with me today is the brilliant Sarah Wenning the chief digital officer at Preta Manjay uh and i will in the second letter introduce herself and give us more about herself and pred but also introducing the topic we are going to be very excited talking to her today about leapfrogging in digital transformations and what that means but before we get into it with no further ado i hand it over to sarah to introduce herself sarah thank you so much deepak and thank you for inviting me on today it's terrific to be able to be talking to you and sharing pret's story so yes i've been in and around the world of digital transformation for my whole career my role is global chief digital officer at pret and in that role i look after all the disp- different aspects that a company needs to bring together in order to be able to create fantastic digital propositions that meet our customers needs i've spent my career all as i say in and around digital in hospitality now previously in retail in travel and in the media sector in both line management roles and in consulting and i've worked for really big organizations but my very first footsteps into a digital were in the dot com startup bubble way back when and i'm just really passionate about creating beautiful hybrid physical and digital experiences that kind of really meet an important need in our customers lives and if it's helpful i can tell you a little bit about pret a manger as well because some of the people who are listening might be very familiar with pret and others not so much so pret a manger is a quick service retail grab and go style a business we were founded in 1986 in london and we're now in 10 markets with just over 600 shops over 10000 team members globally and very initially our shops were kind of deli style but we quickly transformed the model into the grab and go operation that many of the people listening will be familiar with we've had 3 decades of very strong consistent growth at the heart of pret we provide delicious freshly made food and coffee we're particularly strong in urban locations and nearly all of our shops have got a kitchen on site so the shops are the food isn't made in a factory and then brought to our shops the sandwiches and salads that we're famous for are made on site every day and any waste at the end of the day is donated to local homeless shelters for example and our whole reputation is based on number 1 incredible food and coffee and number 2 super efficient friendly service awesome what a great intro sarah thanks for that and just to add to it you know i have two daughters both are great fans of pret croissants for sure i love the coffee so while i know you guys have also recently expanded into my home country india so very excited about that but also looking forward to as you expand more in the us and come into the state i am in in california as well but absolutely yeah, with that in fact my younger one was asking if i'm going to get any free croissants today and i was like no this is a podcast this is not like i'm sitting at pret today so we <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things i always say to people when they're talking about you know 
digital experiences and the hybrid of physical and digital. Like fundamentally, you're always going to be eating a physical croissant. There will be essential parts of our business that are always about delivering an amazing service in the physical space. And so digital has to be complementary for us rather than a separate, distinct thing. Perfect. And I think that leads into the first question I have for you today, right? We begin with the very, I think, exciting and fascinating topic of leapfrogging and then leapfrogging in digital. We know that, you know, Pred has accelerated their digital presence rapidly in the last few years. And I was hoping you could take a few moments and outline how that leapfrogging strategy was crafted and then executed by you and your teams at Pred. Yes, absolutely I can. So historically, and particularly before the COVID pandemic, digital wasn't a big part of Pratt's business, whereas now it's absolutely fundamental in terms of how we operate. And it is a key enabler for what's probably our most important strategic proposition, which is the coffee subscription. Now, Pret was late to digital, and that brought a big challenge for us, right? But it also gave a really big opportunity because it meant that we were able to avoid many of the practices that have built up over the last 15 or 20 years or so of digital, and we could start fresh with new. And I guess I was faced with a question that many CDOs or CIOs would have loved the opportunity to answer, right? Which is, if you could start your digital journey now from scratch, what would you do, right? What would right. you do today? And it meant that like, we're, I've been able to introduce so many concepts such as microservices, APIs, cloud-first, headless... You know, all of those we could introduce wholesale from the start, truly design privacy from the outset, rather than have to retrofit an awful lot of those amazing new digital ways of working or technologies into an existing legacy digital estate. And because we had really pretty much a greenfield environment for digital, and we've been successful in leapfrogging a lot of that legacy, it's given us the confidence to follow that same leapfrogging strategy in other areas, such as our data transformation. The other related thing is that it's enabled a mindset of being able to create new products and commercial propositions from scratch, for example, the coffee subscription, that I think, you know, if we'd have been trying to work out how to launch a brand new kind of industry leading customer proposition, and to do that within the constraints of some legacy, very legacy led environment for digital, that would have been much harder for us. So our approach was that we built the strategic platform and some absolutely key enduring features using the most kind of modern leading edge, although not bleeding edge, but leading edge capabilities that we could. And then we've leveraged that across different propositions, across different markets. Fantastic. One thing I'm thinking, Sarah, is like, as you said, you know, this was like massive change in some scale, but without having the legacy, you're able to like, leapfrog to your point how did you manage the pace of that and also in a way that it was more of an accelerant to the whole ecosystem you were building up while avoiding potential downsides or any mistakes and i know you've talked about like using partners for speed and velocity can you elaborate on that with a few examples 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Deepak. So I guess I'd say first, I don't want to suggest that we haven't made any mistakes. <laughs> I mean, we've made tons of mistakes, right? I mean, we've gone so fast that we've had to you know, there are some things that we've done absolutely brilliantly and some things that haven't worked so well. And the imperative has been to learn from those super fast. So I guess for Pret, the need to move fast, it wasn't a nice to have. It was absolutely an existential imperative for us. I mean, Pret's a fast business anyway. I think there's something in the mindset of an organization. If you make all your food on the day that you're selling it, that leads to an expectation that you can do things incredibly quickly. The whole of our business operates fast. But even for Pret, the pandemic and the fact that we had initially, we had to shut our shops and we couldn't even trade because we didn't exist digitally, that meant we had to go fast. So the choices that we made were essential to be able to operate at that, that incredibly fast pace. So how we approached it, we knew, we, we defined before the pandemic the capabilities that we wanted to have within Pret in-house in the long term, but we didn't have the luxury of saying, okay, we're going to gradually build that team up and then let them get going on developing our digital future once we've got a solid team in-house. We had to go faster than that. So we decided we were going to work with partners who had a great cultural fit with us and deep expertise in specific areas who'd be able to help us go faster. And frankly, I also needed to be able to create space in the internal team by moving some of our more commodity roles outside the organization so I could keep the organization size under control and manage our cost base. So first, we used partners to get started. We learned everything we could. We work very collaboratively with our partners. We've got ferociously high standards, but we love working with brilliant partners who we can really kind of benefit from their experience in other industries, in other markets. And then alongside that, we've been recruiting internal capability to fill gaps and to build our own skills. So we work, we continue to work incredibly closely with partners such as Photon, for example. We're still really early in our digital journey and we need the depth of experience that comes from an organization like yours, as well as those learnings from other industries and also the ability to scale up and down when our demand rises or falls. So we've absolutely had to take a kind of ecosystem approach to building digital and our partners have been critical to our success in that no thanks for that and thanks for working with us as well we hope to live up to your standards i can definitely understand the need for the high demand and i think i can attest to that so it's been an exciting journey for us as well and i love the ecosystem idea and now as you step back and kind of take a slightly more broader perspective with the coffee subscription and other things coming along the road. How do you see loyalty play out? And I'll make it a two-part question here. One is obviously loyalty for the consumers, right? And what part will digital play in the differentiation? The second is loyalty also with the internal employees and the franchisees. And what are your, I would say, guidance or thinking around how should companies approach optimizing both customer and employee experience via digital and in a way to the point you made earlier Sarah that at the end of the day it is about consuming the coffee consuming the sandwich it is a physical experience so how do you blend the digital and physical continuously 
while you're leapfrogging in digital? That's a, it's a rich and complex question. So I'll do my best to try and answer it. So I guess first taking a step back and, you know, looking into my crystal ball and, you know, how do I see loyalty play out in the future? I, I am and I have always been a really big believer that loyalty is an outcome and it's not a program. And, you know, lots of very good brands and businesses can create different products or programs that are designed to create loyalty, but those products and programs are not an end in themselves. And the loyalty initiatives that will endure are going to be the ones that give customers more of what they love about a, a specific brand, whether that's incredible value for money or whether it's access to what's most special, such as exclusives. I don't believe that there is one size fits all. The loyalty initiatives that don't convince me are the propositions that just reward people for existing behavior, but don't provide anything beyond the routine. I think that just becomes a core part of anybody's expectation of that brand, and it won't make them come back more often. Our big focus in Pret has been on our coffee subscription, because through that, we can offer incredible value to our customers, especially in a highly inflationary environment, which in many of our markets we're in today. And then because we know so much more about our customers' behavior and preferences through the app, we can then surprise, some, surprise our customers with something that's meaningful to them particularly. And you ask about how will digital play a part in helping brands differentiate themselves? You know, I, I, I don't believe that digital in and of itself is either good or bad, right? You, you can deliver brilliant or very average digital experiences. I think it's all about ensuring that you represent your brand and the customer experience of your brand using the very best of whatever channel you're operating in, whether that's physical or digital. And some things are better done digitally, other things are better done physically. But the thing is, we all now live these hybrid physical and digital lives. So actually, if you want to meet your customer where they really are today, you have to, you have to be in both places and you have to be doing it brilliantly. And I guess that brings me on to your second question about loyalty, not being just with customers, but also with employees and with franchisees. And how do we make sure that we take an end-to-end -end approach, I guess, to keep us keeping leapfrogging? I think you can't let your customer-facing apps and propositions get too far ahead of your employee apps. And Frankly, that, that has been a challenge for us in the pandemic because initially we had to prioritize the customer touching side of things because initially at the very start of the pandemic, our shops were shut. But now, and in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, we've been focusing much more on getting things into stronger shape for our employees and for our franchisees. And we've approached some of our most important propositions in very much an end-to-end -end way. So again, if I use the subscription as an example, that's very much a digitally enabled experience. But as we've said, you pick up a physical cup of coffee in a physical shop. And one of the most important tech iterations on the proposition last year was rolling out screens, digital screens for our baristas that made it easier for them to see 
from the customer placing the order at the team member at the till, what the, which order had then been placed for what specific coffee. And that meant that we were giving our hardest working team members, our baristas, better data faster in order to enable them to be brilliant. So it wasn't like a fancy customer touching innovation, but it had a huge impact on the overall customer experience because the people who were providing the customers their coffee were able to give them faster, better service with more smiles. Right. So that for me is what kind of a hybrid physical digital experience looks like. Fantastic. And thank you so much for like really breaking down that complex. There are a couple of things I took away from that. I'm just going to repeat it, Sarah, and let me know. But I think there are some key nuggets that came out and that I want to make sure our listeners get. So I love loyalty is an outcome, not a program. I love the fact it's not just about digital, but you have to think about CX. And then your last example, which is don't let the customer facing apps get too far ahead without the employee apps coming along together in order to provide that blended experience in the right way. I think that's fantastic. Really love those examples. Did I get that right before I give you more questions or anything that you would add to that? Because I think that was a key element of nuggets that our listeners will really enjoy from you. I think you've got it absolutely right, Deepak. And I think that if you're in a business where you have really great team members, really great employees who are at the coalface engaging with your customers day in, day out, those people are the most important people in your whole digital experience. You can have incredible people who are working in your support center, in your in your head office, in your ecosystem. But if you're not thinking, how do I provide more tools to give those people who are actually providing the cups of coffee and taking payment and doing all of the stuff that, you know, is both wonderful, but also really difficult about working with customers. If you're not giving them amazing tools, then your digital experience is not going to be everything that it possibly could be. Fantastic. Absolutely. Now, if I were to push on the crystal ball a little further, what from your vantage point you think will be the top trends in digital that will come out in our industry, let's say over the next three to five years? Oh, it's a super difficult question, right? <laughs> and I don't have you know a huge belief in the crystal ball, but I guess there's a couple of things that I think are going to play out really strongly. I think that technology is going to continue to get less and less visible. Wallet streamlining, taking friction out of things. So the tech and the data is going to be getting more and more clever, but it's going to be less clunky, less obvious. And I think that means that businesses keep needing will keep needing to really focus on beautiful user experience because I think that customers' expectations is that this just becomes easier and easier. So that's one. The other area, I think generative AI is going to massively accelerate the speed of content creation, whether that's writing code for us or creating beautiful video. And that brings huge opportunities. It's going to reduce costs of entry, but it's also going to require a whole load of new skills that we don't have in organizations today, whether that's things such as brand governance, so that we make sure we're truly protecting what we've all taken years to nurture in terms of what our 
brands really stand for and how those show up or thinking through the data privacy, data protection angles of generative AI. I mean, I think that the opportunities are huge. I think it's going to happen unbelievably quickly, but I think it requires, yeah, different skills, different ways of working and really close attention to be able to turn it into something fantastic. No, I appreciate that. And I know it's a crystal ball, a little difficult to answer. So really appreciate you taking that head on. Switching gears a little bit, Sarah, looking at kind of your career arc, it's been very interesting, right? Operations to IT strategy to CIO and now chief digital officer. I'm sure there are a lot of our listeners who would love to kind of get your perspectives on that journey. Any key aha moments, any key guidance to other young professionals who are starting out in their career in digital, how they should think about it, where they should be like kind of putting the big blocks or big rocks in their career moves along the way. Any Anything from your school of hard knocks? <laughs> well, I think the first thing I'd say is that it's just an amazing space to spend your career because it's changing all the time. And, you know, the jobs and the opportunities that are going to be the industry defining ones in 10 years time or even five years time, we don't even know what they are today. So the first thing I think I would say is that, you know, I think it's very valuable to find growth, right? Find industries and businesses that are growing because they provide a scale of opportunities that just aren't there if you're in a business that's in more steady state or decline. And there's so much opportunity in digital, finding and enabling a business to grow further through digital is just an extraordinarily exciting place to be. I'd say on a personal level, I something that I found hugely motivating is taking every opportunity to learn. I don't think anybody ever knows all that they need to know before they get their next job. And the more that people can kind of keep their minds open and every opportunity that comes your way to learn something new, whether that's a new technology skill or the new way to approach a commercial situation, you know, I think that's incredibly powerful. I'm, I love Carol Dweck's mindset book. I think that's a must read. And I think as one is learning, the ability to be introspective, but not oversensitive, I think is really important to kind of build your career up and build your confidence as you go. I guess another thing is that, that thing that they always say about what got you here won't get you to the next stage. That's 100% true. So strengths or career attributes that made you famous in early parts of your career can end up being liabilities when you're more senior. So I don't know, like perfectionist tendencies, for example, or doing all the heavy lifting yourself, being the smartest person in the room. Like for me, I think a massive aha moment came when I came back from maternity leave after my third child. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that I had built in the two years of being in the company that I was working for at the time, had the, a number of the things that i built had started to kind of fray at the edges without the force of my personality being there to hold it in place. And I just thought that is of no help to the organization and fundamentally it's of no help to me. So at that point, I pivoted my whole focus to be about building enduring capability rather than to be about getting quick wins that were generated purely by me onto the board. 
I guess there's the last thing I would also say is I think there's a fine balance to strike between being kind of super professional and tough, but also about being authentic. I think I used to compartmentalize far more between work and home. You know, like I'd very rarely talk about my kids at work and I would never discuss the balancing act and that sort of stuff. And I guess I I think I've learned that it's much better for my teens and also for my own stress levels to let the boundaries leak a bit more between the two. I think that my team find me much more relatable knowing that I've got three kids and a working partner and therefore I've got all the stuff to deal with around childcare and who's going to get back home on time that they also have to deal with. And, you know, if you have too shiny veneer, that can be a bit intimidating to people. But I guess the thing, the bit that's more challenging to manage is that if you are more open and more authentic, it does make you a bit more vulnerable. That, you know, that compartmentalizing, that can be a bit of a protective shield. So, For me, having to get comfortable with being more open about the challenges of, you know, living a complex life, you know, that was something that I had to really work at, but it's paid back. Fantastic. I couldn't have said it better. And thanks so much for sharing that. Personally, for me, two things that I picked up, one was, which really hit me hard is, It's not about your force of personality, but really as you're transitioning more to building enduring capabilities. I think you are so right on that with as leaders move up. And the second being more authentic. And I'll just share something personally real quick. But for me, I create work-life smoothies every day and blend them. And you hope that it tastes good. Some days it doesn't. But hopefully <laughs> most days it tastes good. Uh, exactly right. Go with it that way. So I really love the authenticity and the force of personality to enduring capability. And then it's one more thing in that, but a little bit for fun. Can you think back in time and describe the moment? It could be personal, it could be professional. When digital really hit hard and became very real for you. For me, for example, this was when my younger one, younger daughter was about two and a half years old and we went into a restaurant and they had an LCD screen and she kept trying to zoom in and zoom out, pinching <laughs> it fingers. And then I realized like what it means to be a digital native and like she views the world completely different, even from her sister who was eight at that time, right? Even between them, I could see a difference. The younger yeah. one is now 12, but that was the moment where for me, it kind of hit me, digital's like, really different big and it's a lot more than just shiny objects or you know things in your hand but i'll open it to you in terms of when was it the aha moment for you around digital that hit you Oh, gosh, that's a brilliant example. Gosh, it's happened so many times and it keeps hitting me afresh. You know, it hits again and again at different stages. I guess there are some specific points. And actually, you know, as with you, it's often related to parenting that have been massive penny dropping moments that have just made me think differently about the digital world that we live in. There was one moment, I think it was probably like, I don't know, 2012. And we had a beloved family cat that died. And my oldest daughter at that point had recently got social media and she posted about the sad demise of Bakewell. That was the name of the heavily overweight black stray cats who had adopted us. And at that point, as a parent, I was really scared about social media and my kids. But the love that poured in from her friends was just 
overwhelming. And I remember at the time thinking back to when I'd been that sort of age and our cat had died at home and, you know, I was devastated, but it happened at home and I had to come into school the next day and nobody knew about it. Um, And actually, you know, my daughter's experience was much, much more positive. And I think that, you know, it was one of those gosh moments that makes you see the immense positivity of social media and digital in young people's lives. You know, and I think it's important to have that balance when there's also so much hand-wringing about it. Um, And I also had a really similar experience to you, Deepak. When I was reading, when my son was really little, he was about two, he's my youngest child. And I was reading to him a Peter Rabbit book when he was tiny. And it was one of those traditional small editions of the Beatrix Potter books. You might know the type. They're like a little white hardback book, probably yep. not a dissimilar size to an iPhone Pro. And he was trying to pinch and zoom the page of the Mr. McGregor's garden. And, you know, that was it was the sort of experience, just like you had, that makes you realize, I just realized that my son will always navigate the world differently and have different expectations to those that I have. Fantastic, fantastic. The world, I think, is just going to become more and more digitally enabled or digitally rich. And I think the next generation coming behind us will also be changing it. I can go on for hours, Sarah. I know, unfortunately, we do have a time around these things. But before I close out, thank you very much. This couldn't have been a more stimulating and enlightening discussion really loved the insights i think loyalty is an outcome not a program how to go from force of personality to enduring capability really focusing on that blended experience all of those things are things that i'm taking away for sure and i'm sure our listeners will but i wanted to leave one last thing sir anything else that you would want to tell our listeners as they are all embarking and i'm sure many of them are trying to emulate the same how do they leapfrog in their digital transformation? I think I would just say always remember the, you know, any customer experience has the human at the center of it. We're all humans above anything else. And there's the most incredible opportunities that digital technology brings to all of us. And to get the most of it, we always have to keep the human at the center and blend the physical, the digital to create something really exciting. Thank you so much, Sarah. I couldn't have said anything better. With that, I think we'll call it a wrap for our listeners. You know, feel free to listen to this, to the other episodes. We'll continue bringing these things to you in the right sphere. And in the meantime, Please continue exploring, innovating, pursuing your leapfrogging journeys. Thank you for joining us today and have a splendid day. Thank you so much.